And good morning. Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. And I'm Warren Lanus. I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And it's such a great joy to welcome you to the program today. And uh, we've got an exciting program today uh, because we're going to be talking about something that a lot of people like to talk about. And that is the subject of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Uh, I do believe that every Christian has been given by God at least one spiritual gift. Uh, now, some have more than one spiritual gift. Uh, we might even have some Christians out there that have several spiritual gifts. But I believe that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And um, one of the interesting things about gifts is that these are gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of ministry. Now, I might also point out, one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit on the program today is the fact there's actually a difference between a spiritual gift and a talent, you know. For example, uh, you might have a talent uh, to play the piano. But, on the other hand, playing a piano is not a spiritual gift. Now, no doubt about it, uh, playing a piano can be used for ministry. Now, right now, I'm in the process of learning how to play two instruments. I'm learning how to play a guitar, and I'm learning how to play um, a piano. And I'm struggling with both. I'm actually having probably a little bit more success with the piano than I am (laughs) with the guitar, but the piano is actually also teaching me something about how to read music, which is something I have to be able to do in order to play the guitar. Um, And in fact, I got a keyboard in the mail just this past week, and um, I kind of like it. I've learned how to play a little bit on the keyboard. Uh, let's see how it sounds. Here's uh, a part of a hymn. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. <laughs> so I've learned how to play that. And I've learned how to do that. I've always, you know, I've always had a desire to do that. I mean, seriously, I've always had a desire to do that. Now, one of the reasons I want to learn how to play some musical instruments is I would love to go into, you know, nursing homes and colleges and, you know, share with my audience uh, the old hymns of the church. Now, I I love contemporary Christian music. I don't mind telling you that. I love contemporary Christian music. But on the other hand, I also love the traditional hymns of the church. And I think every generation has a responsibility spiritually to pass on to the next generation the historical hymns of the church. Hymns uh, like Amazing Grace, uh, the Old Rugged Cross, for example. Uh, These are great hymns with a great message. And they need to be preserved, and that's one of the reasons why I'm wanting to learn how to play some musical instruments. But as I pointed out, 
as great as it is to be able to play a piano or any musical instrument. That is great, and it's something that could be used as a ministry, but in and of itself, it's not a gift of the Spirit. It could be described as a talent. It could be defined as a learned skill, but it's not in and of itself the gift of the Spirit. Um, so I do want to point that out to you. Now, we're going to start looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, now, dear brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters. Now, one of the interesting points here is that Paul is speaking here to brothers and sisters in Christ. He is not addressing a secular, unsaved audience. He is addressing brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, regarding your question about special abilities the Spirit gives us, I do not want you to misunderstand. Now, apparently, one of the things that Paul did in his letter-writing ministry, and it seems that Paul wrote a lot more letters than we know about. Not every letter that Paul wrote is preserved in the canon of scriptures that we have today. And no doubt, members of the church at Corinth would write Paul letters and they would ask him questions. And then Paul would write letters to answer those questions. Now, some of these letters we have, many of these letters we don't have. Now, later on in this broadcast, we'll talk a little bit about the Corinthian correspondence, for example, and you'll see a little bit more about what I mean. But it's just to say that not every letter Paul wrote has been preserved for whatever reason. I think we have all of the Bible that God ever intended for us to have. And I think we could say today we have the whole Bible. I do not think there's any other books of the Bible to be discovered. We have the whole Bible. We have the complete Word of God. And it's wholly inspired. It's infallible. And we can thank God for that. He says, you know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit will curse Jesus. And no one could say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now he goes on to say here, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. The same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Now, I point out once again, the purpose of a spiritual gift is for the benefit of others. In particular, it's for the benefit of the local church. And uh, when you join a local church, you bring with you whatever spiritual gifts God has blessed you with. And those spiritual gifts can be used to enhance 
the ministry of whatever church you join. Uh, it's also important to note that really and truly no spiritual gift is given for our own private benefit. Uh, the purpose of spiritual gifts is always for the benefit of others. And more specifically, it's always for the benefit of the local church. Now, one thing you're going to find out about me, those of you that have just recently uh, started listening to me teach the Bible on the Internet, you're going to find that I'm a friend and a supporter of the local church. And I believe that as a Christian, you need to be a member of the local New Testament church, if at all possible. Now, I realize, you know, we have some who, due to physical difficulties and sickness and illness, or maybe just old age, you, you can't go to church in person like you used to. And, and God certainly understands in those situations. But to the degree you're able to do so, you need to be in a local church. For one thing, you're going to enjoy the fellowship. When I go to the local church, I get fellowship that I cannot get over the Internet. Now, I remember uh, one summer, for example, I was uh, a resident uh, in a um, assisted living facility. And I did not always have the freedom to go to church. And so my only way to get in on the church service was to listen to it online. And, and that made me grateful for online ministry that many churches have today. But at the same time, it was not the same as being able to be present in church in person. Because when you're going to church in person, you have an opportunity for fellowship that you do not have online. I, I was talking one time to a football fan. This was back when I was interim pastor of a church in Louisiana. And um, I knew that whenever the Saints had a home game, he was always out of church. He would always go to the stadium early to get a good seat. Of course, now, back in those days, the Saints weren't playing too good at football, so why he would go early to watch a team lose, I just couldn't understand that. But I said, you know, the game's going to be on television. And if the game's going to be on television, you could just watch the game on television when you get home from church. And he said, but preacher, you don't understand. It's not the same as being there in person. And I said, that's the way it is with the local church. It's not the same watching it on television. You have to be there in person to get in on the fellowship. You'll be amazed how that strengthens you uh, spiritually. And it helps you to grow in the Lord. Plus, of course, the church is a place where hopefully you have a pastor who not only believes in the Word of God, he teaches and preaches the Word of God, and by listening to your pastor, you grow spiritually. And so this is a great thing. It says, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. Now, let me say something about there. <laughs> now, some translations, I think the King James would call this a word of knowledge. Uh, 
um, when I was in college at seminary, I benefited greatly from godly professors who studied many, many years to get to where they were. And I benefited from the Bible knowledge that they imparted to me over a period of time. And I was so grateful for that. And, you know, the Lord's never called me to be, uh, you know, a Bible college professor or a seminary professor. But, man, I tell you, I thank God for those men and women that feel called of God to help prepare the next generation for the job of preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, the same Spirit gives great faith to another. To someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown language. And while another person is given the ability to interpret what is being said, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person will have. Now, starting with verse 12, Paul talks about the human body. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, in his Swindoll Study Bible commentary, points out that one of Paul's favorite ways of describing the church is he would describe it as being the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And as we get into verse 12, for example, Paul begins equating each member of the church as representing a part of the body of Christ. Paul, starting in verse 12, points out that our body has many parts. We have feet. We have hands. We have a heart. We have lungs. We have fingers, we have eyes, we have hearing. You see, every part has a function. Now, some of these parts of the body we, we know about because we see them. You know, if I were looking at you, I could see your legs, I could see your hands, um, I could see your eyes and ears, I could see your mouth. And all of these are important body parts that have very important functions. But there's other body parts that have important functions that we don't see. For example, just by looking at me, you can't see my heart and you can't see my lungs. And yet my heart and lungs both do a very important job that I need to have done in order to stay alive. If my lungs were to quit working completely, uh, I would die because I wouldn't be getting enough air. Now, I, I can relate to lung problems because of the fact 
that I have asthma and I also have COPD, even though I've never smoked. Unfortunately, I have become the victim of secondhand smoke. And I thank God that more and more cities are basically restricting smoking to outdoors. Because I believe that secondhand smoke is just about as dangerous as firsthand smoke. But here's the deal. Our lungs do an important job. If you have lungs that aren't doing their job, you can't breathe. If you can't breathe, you die. Same with the heart. What do you think would happen if your heart stopped beating long enough? You would die. You could not live. So the heart and lung, lungs do very important work. They have very important functions to keep us alive, and yet we don't see them. Now, in the average church today, we have many members, and we not only have many members, but we also have the fact that your church has many different jobs that need to be done. You know, there's teaching, there's preaching, there's ministry to the poor, ministry to children, all kinds of ministries that are powered by various gifts of the Holy Spirit. And just as we need every part of our body to be a normal living human being, a church needs all of its members in order for it to get the job done. Ideally, if you decided to leave the church of which you are now a member, the church where you're now a member would be hindered. And probably very noticeably. I heard one time about this one church that had a member who um, actually gave a lot of money even though they didn't know it at the time because he chose to give his money anonymously. Now, of course, because he gave his money anonymously, he uh, didn't receive a tax write-off for it or anything like that. And uh, so he gave his money anonymously. But it was a pretty sizable chunk of money. Uh, turns out this guy had a pretty big income. And he also had many profitable investments that produced a lot of income for him. Now when this particular church member died all of that money stopped coming in. And that church was financially impacted by the death of that believer. And it was only shortly after that that they found out that this guy, when he died, he actually had, in his lifetime, a lot more money than they ever thought. I mean, he lived very modestly. I mean, you couldn't tell by the house he lived in or the clothes he wore or the car that he drove that he was a man of means, but he, he was a man of many dollars. He just didn't live that way. And when he gave, he gave anonymously. 
that the church, when this guy died, they had to do some downsizing. They had to lay off some staff. They had to quit doing some ministries because they could no longer afford to do it. They were impacted. And ask yourself this question. If you decided to leave your church, what kind of condition would your church be in? Very interesting question to think about. But Paul uses the analogy of the human body to show how important each of us is. As Paul points out, you know, a hand can't say to the foot, you know, I have no need of you. Actually, you do have a great need for that foot. That foot makes a valuable contribution to your well-being. That foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you, because look at all you would not be able to do if you didn't have hands. Amen. So, anyway, Paul makes that analogy, and as Chuck Swindoll says, Paul frequently referred to the church as the body of Christ each part of the body needing the other. Paul goes on to say, in verse 27, chapter 12, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some parts God has appointed to the church. First, there are apostles. Second, there are prophets. Third, are teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Now, let's look at some of these gifts individually. It says the gift of leadership. Some translations refer to this as the gift of administration. The ability to be well organized. Uh, I remember the church where I grew up. Our pastor was extremely well organized. Uh, now part of the reason was he was saved after working for a while in textile management. But while working in textile management, before he went into the ministry, he learned some valuable organizational skills, which he carried with him into the ministry. Now that gift of organization and administration, Paul refers to that as a gift of the Holy Spirit. When I was working at my first Christian radio station in New Orleans, we had a young man, he was actually younger than me, but he obviously had the gift of administration. He was able to see to it that the station was well organized. He saw to it that every song that we played was put in a proper category, and he was also in charge of scheduling the announcers. He had the gift of administration. And he used that gift well for the benefit of our Christian radio station. Our Christian radio station was able to achieve a lot because of his gift of organization. Amen. Paul says some are called to be prophets. Some are called to be prophets. Um, 
A prophet here could be referred to as one who preaches the gospel. Paul says some are called to be teachers. Now, one of the gifts I have, I believe, is the gift of teaching, which is a gift of the spirit that I use on this radio podcast called Sunshine USA. Here I am exercising my Holy Spirit gift of teaching. Other times I exercise my Holy Spirit gift of prophecy or the ability to preach, preaching the gospel, preaching evangelistically. Now there's at least one gift here that I believe we do not have today, and that would be the gift of being an apostle. Um, We note, for example, that the original apostles had apostolic authority. Uh, They could go out and they could heal people. They could raise the dead. And no doubt they spoke in tongues at times, but they had a special ability called uh, apostolic authority. We don't have that kind of apostolic authority today. I have to tell you, I've never raised anybody from the dead. And I don't see myself ever being able to do that. Paul did that. I have never done that. Now, we have some men today who refer to themselves as apostles, but I believe there are no no apostles today, and certainly not by definition of the New Testament. Back in New Testament times, an apostle was someone who had witnessed physically with their own eyes the resurrected body of Jesus. Now, Paul just barely met that requirement because he met Jesus literally and physically on the road to Damascus. And, of course, we know the disciples, they spent three years living and working with Jesus. And they also saw Jesus in his resurrected body. But I don't think there's anybody alive today that can say, I saw the resurrected body of Jesus. So I do not personally believe that we have apostles today. Now, like I say, some churches have, for example, a pastor that they might refer to as an apostle. And uh, they have their own definition of apostle, so I'm not going to take issue with that. Then there's the gift of unknown tongues. Now, some people believe that the gift of speaking in an unknown tongue went away entirely. We note that speaking in tongues was often referred to as a sign gift. Bearing in mind, one of the problems the early church had to deal with is that they did not have a completed body of scripture the way we do today. And so the Lord had to give them the ability, for example, to do miracles and speak in tongues in order to authenticate their message. But today, our message is authenticated by the Word of God. Now, having said that, 
Let me also point out that I'm not going to say categorically that the gift of unknown tongues does not exist today. I have heard some people speak in tongues, and I believe that for them at least it was a very real experience, and I'm not going to take issue with that. Now, as we'll see on another broadcast, Paul did believe in order. For example, if you have someone speaking in tongues in a church service, there had to be an interpreter. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a future broadcast. So I'm not prepared to say that the gift of tongues has disappeared entirely in our day. But I'm saying it doesn't have the urgency that it did back in the New Testament times. Because today we have the completed Word of God. They didn't have the completed Word of God back in the New Testament. Therefore, certain gifts like the ability to do miracles and speaking in tongues, they were necessary gifts back then in order to authenticate the message of the messenger. We have here the gift of those who can help others. There are a lot of people in your church who just thoroughly enjoy volunteering to help anywhere in the church they are needed. You know, it might be that um, your church is getting ready to have a cookout. And the pastor knows he's going to need somebody to volunteer to help clean up after that cookout. And there's a lot of people who will readily and volunteer to do that. You see, they're exercising the gift of helps. It might be that your church cannot afford to do hire anybody to do janitorial work. And so you rely on various volunteers to help keep the church clean because you can't afford to hire a janitor or a maid. Once again, that would be an example of the Holy Spirit gift of helps. Um, so we find that every Christian, in my opinion, is given at least one gift. I do believe that some Christians are given more than one gift. Some Christians have multiple gifts. I might add that I meet very few Christians with all the gifts. I mean, man, if you had all the gifts, think how busy you would be. Amen. Paul goes on to say in verse 29, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in an unknown language? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Notice he says here, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. In other words, he's saying here, you should desire those gifts of the Spirit that will be of greatest possible benefit to your local church. Now, you'll, you'll note that at the beginning of the broadcast today, I talked about how playing a piano is not a gift of the Spirit. But now, it could be part 
of a gift of the Spirit. For example, someone with the gift of prophecy, that is, someone who has a desire to preach the gospel to others, they can do that through the ministry of playing a piano. Maybe you have a, a gift to teach other people. You can actually teach a lot of biblical truths through music. Uh, I'm one of these people, I enjoy listening to Christian radio. I don't mind telling you I don't listen to secular radio. I listen to Christian radio. And as I listen to Christian radio, the songs that I listen to compel me to be more like Christ. They teach me to be more like Christ. And so there's a ministry to be had in the music. That could be the ministry of teaching, which is a gift of the Spirit. So while, you know, playing a piano, for example, is not per se a gift of the Spirit, we do take note of the fact that playing a piano can indeed and in fact be something that can be used to evangelize and teach others the Word of God. So there you have it. And then Paul goes on to say, he makes a statement here next that really sets the stage for our next broadcast. He says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best for all. But he says, now let me show you a way of life that is best for all. And you will see as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul has something to say on the subject of love. I remember um, one of the first churches I preached at after getting saved and surrendering my life to preach the gospel. Um, the pastor of that church had a plaque put on the back of the podium. On the back of the pulpit, it said, Preaching the truth in love. Preaching the truth in love. You see, love is supposed to be our motivation for doing what we do. It is because of my love for you, for example, that I preach and proclaim to you, the gospel here on Sunshine USA. It is because of my love for you that I teach you the word of God. And I spend a certain number of hours every single week teaching you uh, the word of God. Well, uh, let's start chapter 13. It's a very powerful chapter with a powerful message. It's not all that long. Paul says, if I speak all the languages of the earth... And of angels. But don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrifice my own body, I could boast about it, but 
if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul goes on to say, love is kind, patient. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rule. Now here as we get into verse 4, we have a part of this chapter that sometimes is used in wedding ceremonies. Talking about how unselfish love is. Love brings out the best in us. He says love is patient, it's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It is not, it does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Think about this for a moment. Do you know anybody that is just as irritable as they could be? Think about that. I mean, I know people, and I'm sure you do too, that are so unbelievably irritable. I mean, seriously. (laughs) They're grouchy, they're always complaining. And to be perfectly honest with you, these are not the kind of people you enjoy being around. It's not pleasurable being around them. Some people are always rude. That's not a Christian virtue. You know? Someone that's complaining all the time. And we certainly have our share of complainers in the church today. I mean, I know church members, and I'm sure you do too. All they can do is gripe and complain and bellyache about different things going on in the church. Now, if they would work as hard to make the church better as they do complain, the church would be a better place. Amen? Amen. Paul says here, Love does not demand its own way. (laughs) You know, when you make statements like my way or the highway, that's not a Christian virtue. Paul says here, love does not demand its own way. Now, I'll be honest with you. I have voted in favor of things at my church that I don't necessarily agree with, but I also know there's nothing unbiblical about it, so I support it. In fact, uh, I told a pastor that I had one time, I said, Pastor, let me tell you something. As long as what you do is not unbiblical, I will support it. Because you're the pastor. It is your job to make the final decisions. And I will support whatever it is you want to do as long as it doesn't contradict the word of God. And as long as I was pastor of that church, as long as that man was my pastor, I kept my word on that. And that meant sometimes I would vote in favor of doing something that I probably wouldn't have done if I was the pastor. But at that point, I was not the pastor. I was simply a church member. And so I supported whatever it was the pastor wanted to do. That's the way we act in the event that we are the Christians that we need to be. Amen. Well, this is good stuff here. (laughs) 
I don't know about you, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. It keeps no record of being wrong. Think about that. It keeps no record of being wronged. I know some people, they might even say, you know, don't worry about it, I forgive you. But boy, they have not forgotten about it. Because every time you do wrong, man, they're keeping a record of it. You'll, you'll recall, and I think it's the Gospel of Matthew, where Paul talks about forgiving, I mean, uh, Jesus talks about forgiving somebody 70 times 7, which actually comes to 749, I think. 70 times 7, which actually 490 times. I never was that good in math in school. So it meant that literally, if somebody wronged me 490 times, literally I had to forgive them. But, starting with the 491st time, if I took the teaching of Jesus literally, then I could go ahead and, you know, not forgive them. But the thing about it is, if I could say, okay, buddy, that's your 491st violation, then you know what? I haven't really forgiven that person. Because I've been keeping a record. And when you are walking in the Spirit, when you're living in a Spirit, you don't keep records. You don't keep records. Amen. It says it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always helpful and endures through every circumstances. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. That is what Paul is teaching his audience here. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. You know, you could say, man, we're living in tough times today. And that is true. We are living in tough times. Oh, yeah. But Paul says that we are not to give up. We are to press on. Now, I don't know what God's called you to do, but whatever God's called you to do, you know what? You need to keep doing it. You need to keep doing it. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be times when you don't know how you're going to go another step, but you need to press on. You need to keep on keeping on. Don't lose faith. Amen. It says here, prophecy, speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time a perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. 
He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. (laughs) Notice he says, when I grew up, I put away childish things. We have a lot of Christians in a lot of churches today. You know what? They need to grow up. Because if they would only take a look at their behavior in church, they would find that it's very childish. You know, a a child tends to be very demanding. A child tends to be the kind of person that wants everything to be his or her way. But that's not the biblical way. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. But I didn't keep acting that way when I grew up. You know, there are some things that are very cute when children do it. But it's very sad when adults do it. Because among other things, it means that you've got someone who refuses to grow in the Lord. We've got people in our churches today. When it comes to spirituality, they are pretty much the same level now as they were when they first got saved. That's very sad. Very, very sad. God wants all of us as Christians to grow in the Lord. To mature. Uh, When I think about how immature I was when I first got saved, I can't believe it. And thank God, from the time I first got saved to now, I've, I've had a lot of time to grow and develop and mature as a Christian. One of the things I like about being retired from secular work is the fact that I have more time than ever before now to read and study the Word of God. Amen. I thank God for that. I enjoy reading and studying the Word of God. And the more you read and study the Word of God, the the more you're going to grow spiritual. The deeper in Christ you're going to grow. But it involves making a commitment of your time to spend time every day in the Word of God. Now, I realize that we have a lot of people, for example, listening to Sunshine USA. And in listening to Sunshine USA, you'll be the first to admit that you don't have time or at least as much time as I do to spend in the Word of God every day. I might spend two, three, four hours a day in the Word of God. You may not have that kind of time. But even if you're working, and many of you are, I think if you want to bad enough, you can find at least some time every day to read and study the Word of God. To read and study you know, the Word of God. I think you can do that. It's just a matter of, do you want to? Are you willing 
to invest the time that it takes to spend in the Word of God. I mean, I've said many times, if you enjoy playing golf, you're going to find time to play golf. If you like to go bowling, you're going to find time to go bowling. If you love fishing, you're going to find time to go fishing. And likewise, if spending time reading the Word of God is important to you, you will find a way to do it. Amen. You will find a way to do it. That might mean that you have to give up some things that you really enjoy doing in order to make room in your schedule for something more important like reading and studying the Word of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. And, and you know, really, when you think about it, I don't care how much money you make now. I don't spend how many, I don't know how many hours you spend at work every day. But you know, one of these days, that won't matter anymore. Only the things that you do for Christ, that's all that's going to matter one of these days. The decision you make about Christ, the decision you make to receive Christ as your Savior, I would dare say a hundred years from now, that is the only thing, the absolute only thing that is going to matter. Amen. <laughs> um, so Paul has a lot to say here on the subject of love. I think it's fair to say that love should be the motivating factor behind everything we do. Paul goes on to say, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything perfectly clearly. Now back in Paul's day, mirrors were not as great as they are now. You, you look in a mirror today, and um, you'll be amazed at how clear an image you see of yourself. Now, you know, uh, in many ways, the Bible is like a mirror. It allows us to see ourselves as we really are. But now, back in Paul's day, mirrors were not nearly as great a quality as they are today. It was almost like looking at a piece of shiny steel. You could make out an image of yourself, but it wasn't very clear. So Paul says, we don't see things so clearly now. But one of these days, we will know even as we are known. Paul goes on to say, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Amen. He says three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Notice Paul says here there are some things we just don't understand right now. There's things we're going to read in the Bible we're not going to understand till the day we die. But when we go to heaven, 
at that time we will see things so much more clearly than we see them now. Amen. Now, we've done something very interesting today. We don't always cover as much ground every day as we did on the broadcast today. You'll notice that today, for example, uh, we have covered basically the entire 13th and 14th chapters of 1 Corinthians. That is very rare. I know some days we don't even cover a full chapter. So when we come back, we will be in uh, uh, chapter 14, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. So for next time, go ahead and read chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Now I can just about assure you we're not going to get through chapter 14 as quickly as we got through chapters 12 and 13. So read it slowly. Take your time and think about how chapter 14 applies to you today. Well, that brings our study for today to a close. Now, if you have a Bible study question, if you have a prayer request, a praise report, I would love to hear from you. The quickest and most direct way to communicate with me is by email. And I have two email addresses, warrenlandis at yahoo.com and warrenlandis at gmail.com. Now, if you prefer, you can also write to me by snail mail. My snail mail address is warrenlandis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street. Apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now, another thing you could do is give me a phone call. Now, wait till the end of the program today. But you could call me at my personal number. Now, I don't know too many TV and radio preachers today that are doing this, but I'm, I'm giving you one of my personal phone numbers here. It's 864-608-2102. 864-608-2102. That's one of my personal phone numbers and you can call me. It might be, you know, you just need somebody to talk to. Maybe you need some Christian advice, pastoral advice. I would love to do that for you. And as usual, like anything else I do, there's no charge for that. It's a free ministry. I'm not even going to ask you for a financial contribution. It's a free ministry that I have here at Sunshine USA. So, there you have it. Well, that brings us to the end of another broadcast. So until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. And guess what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.